0: Thank you for listening to the Digital Backpack. This episode was first published on February 21st, 2017, back when the podcast was called Campfire. Hi, people of Earth. We are back with another podcast.
1: Woo-hoo! And we are excited. I I did the Wonder Woman before we got started today, so I'm ready to go. So, Jeff, we always ask our guests if they've ever attended a summer camp because our podcast is Campfire, so obviously they're um, vaguely connected. So I want to know, have you ever been to summer camp and what was it?
0: I've been to, like, sports-themed, mostly basketball summer camps. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one that stands out in my mind the most is that my grandparents used to live in the Adrian area. Actually, they lived in Onsted, I think. And we, me and my brother every year, would go to Camp of Champions at sienna heights mhm shout out to ann smart who lives in the adrian area but will be really upset that i went to camp at sienna heights and not <laughs> adrian college and that that was such a hard camp like i i loved basketball but that was like almost too much basketball and i was i was such a i was a nervous kid so like there was a lot of eyes on me when we were doing, or at least my perception was that all eyes are on you when you're doing drills and and skills and everything like that. So I remember a lot of anxiety, but I remember really digging the chocolate milk in the cafeteria for lunch. And right. I got to get new basketball shoes every summer before that camp. The greatest part of this, and this isn't really campy, but... Uh, We got to stay with my grandparents for a week. My my grandfather was my hero, my inspiration to be an educator. He was a superintendent and a a social studies teacher in the district that eventually I would uh, be a teacher in. So that was the longest stretches of time that I got to spend with him. And so uh, those are the memories that kind of stick out in my head, not only just camp memories, but memories in general as a kid. That's cool, that's very cool. How about you? yeah,
1: my were experience you a person? um my experience is very similar. I was um an athletics camp. I did a lot of basketball camp. I did camp of champions, but my camp of champions was in Traverse City because I'm a northern Michigan girl um and it's funny that you say like all eyes were on you because I remember um you know, like they pick teams, they put you on teams. And the camp director was watching a game and I went up for a left-handed layup and just totally missed it. And my coach was
0: like... Left-handed layups were like the most anxiety ridden (laughs) drill things.
1: And it still sticks with me. He's like, you should have faked an injury after you missed it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, that would have been better. I'm like, thanks. Thanks for that that self-esteem booster. But yeah, that's mine too. And in fact, one of the camps that I went to, I went uh, with a bunch of girls from a neighboring city that was the town that my parents were from and where my grandparents lived. So I have that that experience, too, of getting to spend a little bit of extra time with my grandparents because of that. So how funny.
0: It is crazy. And even like down to the name of the the camp.
1: Yeah. that's Apparently, if you name something Camp of Champions, that people will come. We should name our professional development, Professional Development of Champions blended learning for champions.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did they do awards and things like that? I always remember a camper of the day and then uh, Yeah. at the end of the the camp they they tried to give as many awards away as they could and got like little trinkets and things like that. I still have a lot of those trinkets.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean that was like one of the coolest parts even though Yeah. they were nothing, but just cool to be recognized, right?
0: Well, the coolest part was that at Siena Heights Fieldhouse, they had a Miss Pac-Man arcade game set up in the entranceway. So, so that was
1: really your motivation.
0: Yeah. like, <laughs> And I, I stink at video games, but – and this is weird – I enjoyed watching my brother play video games my whole childhood. So it was fun. I feel my like we have very
1: similar good. childhoods because my older brother – I, I, I think I was bad, but I think I was bad because he never actually let me play. He was like, you can oh, sit here really? and watch me play Mario Brothers. It'll be really fun.
0: <laughs> I think my brother was kind of similar, except yeah. like it was mutual. Like my brother was like, you you want to watch me play, right? Not play. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because I don't want to play Metal Gear Solid. I just want you to play and I'll drink Sunkiss and eat popcorn.
1: Awesome. Well, that was fun. I'm not really sure how it connected to the rest of our lives. But other than digging Miss Pac-Man, let's talk about something else we're digging. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can
0: you dig it? It's crazy. This could have been the first, middle, and last what we're digging all the time. It's easy to overlook, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So we were just talking before we started recording about how it's easy to overlook because we use it every single day in our jobs, in our personal lives. When I was teaching, probably when you were teaching too, you were utilizing it to some capacity. Yeah. Um, but, but this week's what we're digging is Google Docs, but really the whole Google suite of tools. And... How would we use it in a classroom? Well, I taught for about 10 years, and during that time period, I used Docs on the regular. It was something that my students could collaborate in easily without having to send each other like, oh, here's the latest update of our document that I'm working on, or, or here's the latest update of our presentation slides, right? Like I mm-hmm. I think back to college and how much my undergraduate years could have been a little bit easier as opposed to, well, here's the external hard drive that has our updated presentation on it that I emailed to you or I brought to our work session. But when you do it in Google Slides or Google Docs, then everybody just has the latest version.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and what I utilized most when I was a teacher was Google Forms. Uh, Yeah.
1: Tell us about that a little bit.
0: Google Forms were my weekly assessment solution. I had a quiz every Friday because I wanted to do uh, some game planning over the weekend of where my kids were at. So that was my my checkpoint was weekly, and uh, there was other formative pieces within there. But that that formative assessment piece was a constant. Back in those days, back in my day, uh, which <laughs> three years ago was using FluBuru extensively as an extension on the spreadsheet that the Google Form would populate to to uh, grade and send feedback to my students by email. And I was not in a Google for Education school district, so it was great because I didn't need to have my students have an account. I just asked for their name. I could back up real quick, and Google Forms is a uh, is a form field entry tool that allows you to create surveys and quizzes. And nowadays, it even has the quiz feature built into it. And if you are a Google for Education school, it it works really, really well to automatically identify who those students are, allow them to go back and revise the, the submissions that they entered, and the dashboard has come a really long way to where you can visualize the responses as they come in. So I could even imagine utilizing it in live in in the classroom. In fact, uh, I've utilized it in several sessions that I've run with teachers as a uh, live formative assessment tool, and and just project the results up on the the screen or whatever, and kind of live walk through the the results and and let it change the course of our session depending on what attitudes are or what prior knowledge is of participants and everything like that so i'm a i'm a google forms guy uh and, google forms and i know I, I know you are too uh that yeah that, that you dig forms our colleague stacy shu is like a forms wizard She's she a should wizard put that on her resume like a Google Forms wizard? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let's give her a badge but. for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All the badges. All the <laughs> extensions for forms. She, she, she really uh, – she utilizes Autocrat a lot, mm-hmm. which is uh, you can turn Google Form data that goes to a spreadsheet. You can have it generate mail merges within Docs. So it automatically uh, does the string replacements that you set up, so that you can create, you know, reports and and everything like that. So I think Aaron, one of my favorite things about the G Suite is what they call it now, <laughs> is that it's productivity tools in a collaborative space that are open to interpretation on how you utilize it for collaborating and learning. Right?
1: Yeah. And um, they're free. Yeah, they're free. That's like the best part. Yeah. Mic, mic drop. We're done. <laughs> I'm in a, just a giddy mood to be um, re- recording this afternoon. It makes me happy to record podcasts. Me so, too. we are going to be chatting with a good friend of mine and one of my former colleagues by the name of Aaron Mastin. And Aaron is. An amazing third grade teacher in Boyne City at Boyne City Elementary School. And she, I think, has a really unique situation as a teacher in that she has taught everything from kindergarten through eighth grade. And I feel like that's not a place that a lot of teachers have been in, right? Maybe they've been in every and everything kind of secondary or all, um, elementary, but K eight is, is a pretty wide range. And I think the really cool part about that is that she's got a lot of ideas. Um, but when she's thinking about things and, and when I've done, um, professional development or presentations with her in the past, she's got a really good mind for not only how does this work in elementary schools, But what does it look like in the middle and high school classrooms too? So she can really wrap her brain around those things, which I think sometimes is difficult for us, even though we're all teachers, it can be a really different environment between those two. So she's always fun to chat with. I always feel like I'm learning something from her and we know that you're going to walk away from her interview with some ideas that you can just take right back to your classroom and implement right away. Welcome. Welcome girl. We, we know that your time is limited. So we'll kind of jump in. Our first question is a little random, but you know, what, it, our podcast is called campfire. So first oh, question, did you ever go to summer camp as a kid?
2: Yes. I actually, I went to summer camp as a camper and I was also a counselor. Camp Daggett. I camp
1: Daggett. So, okay. Yes. So Jeff, you don't know okay. about Camp Day yet, but it's a local camp on beautiful Walloon Lake in northern Michigan, and um I feel like lots of of northern Michiganders have a special place in their heart for Camp Day yet.
2: mm-hmm It is the best summer adventure that a kid could have.
1: Do you feel what was like- camp like
2: um camp it was pretty stereotypical, like you do swimming, canoeing sailing. Um, you have a nature time, arts and crafts, and then you have like a rec time. Um, you sing songs, you go on campouts. It's pretty traditional, um, but it was awesome. And I've actually, I've made friends. I have friends from when I went there as a kid that I still talk to today. So pretty crazy. That's
0: <sighs> it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. You're, so your summers took place in movies.
2: Yeah, exactly. Essentially. My life is pretty much a movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, movie star.
2: Unfortunately, I don't get paid like a movie star, but it's coming. I'm waiting.
1: Erin, do you feel like um, being a counselor there kind of was eye-opening into education? I mean, I know your dad was a teacher. Was your mom a teacher too? Yes. Okay, yeah. so both your parents were teachers. Family. Do you mm-hmm. feel like... Um, being a counselor at Camp Daggett kind of was a a lead in to teaching or not so much. Yeah,
2: for sure. No, it was because I, I actually was a counselor my, the summer after my freshman year at college. So I really, you know, I knew I wanted to go into education, but getting trapped into a cabin with 12 kids, it definitely, um, solidifies that or totally (laughs) says, no, I'm not doing this. Um, (laughs) So it was good because having to deal with all different types of children, um, and then you do different age groups too. So I I usually um, was with the younger kids. Um, I think I just I was better with them. Um, so they would give me the younger cabins a lot, and you know you get to you get to see all different types of backgrounds because even though a lot of the kids are from Northern Michigan, there are quite a few that come from downstate and from all over, um, even out of state. So it was, it was a good experience.
1: That's cool. So one of the things that we asked you kind of before to just get your brain rolling and kind of help us get prepped too, was something that was going on in, uh, your, now quote unquote camp in your classroom. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, something that you were excited about. And one of the things that you kind of talked about was just this idea of competency based learning. So I guess to start with what sparked your interest in company, competency based learning.
2: know it's not an easy word. Um, <laughs> well we did a Mishad chat on it, um, a couple weeks ago and just jumping into that and talking to some, um, Teachers, uh, there's a principal in Fraser, Michigan, that um, I think really prides himself on having a school that practices competi- competency-based learning. You know, they were all in there talking giving examples and showing classrooms. And I just thought, you know, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot with my experiences as a teacher. I was, I've taught everything from kindergarten to eighth grade and literally everything from kindergarten to eighth grade. And the one thing that I noticed when coming from the middle school down to the elementary was how fine-tuned teachers are to what each kid needs in their classroom. And with the competency-based learning, you really, you work on what is that, what does that kid need right now? What is he, you know, where are they at in their learning? And you, you meet them and you, I mean, you individualize their learning for them and that's great, and and you need them where they're at, but you really are, you're also challenging them. Um, You're tweaking things for for each student or small groups of students, and I think it it gives the students everything that they need. Now, it gets more complicated as you get older kids because the gaps widen, or it's not, you know, something that you can get away with as easily, you know, in the sense of, okay, I'm pulling this group, and they might be low, some kids will notice that they're always being pulled, and that kind of becomes a stigma for them. But, you know, if you just try to take that stuff out of it and look at, okay, what does this kid need? How can I push this kid? Well, how can I pull this kid? Um, it really made sense to me, and I feel like the older I, the older the kids are that I teach, the, the more and more I get away from that. I'm like, why do I keep doing that? Why, why can't I teach everything like I taught first grade? But it doesn't always work because of the way we have our school structured. So it's something that I'm trying to wrap my brain around and try to figure out how I can do that in third grade.
1: Do you feel like there's some things that you're already doing in your classroom that are, um, you know, I think I think like you said, Jeff and I were actually talking about this earlier. So Fraser is a competency-based district. So mm-hmm. thinking about well, there's a lot of support. Um, there's probably been a lot of professional development. Um, and I, I know that the Mish Ed Twitter chat is an excellent source of kind of personal learning, personal professional development. Um, mm-hmm. but what kinds of things are you already doing within the, the kind of standard school structure that you feel like are already maybe just slight moves, but moves or progress towards right. competency based?
2: Um, well, we do, you know, we do have groups um, of kids or we'll do stations and that allows you to take smaller chunks of students and and meet them where they're at in their learning um, instead of whole group lessons where you're just speaking to the, the class in general. We also have programs that allow the kid to go in the direction that's needed for them, whether it's on our iPad or if it's on a um, computer or something like... Um, uh, we've got Front Row or Extra Math, these different apps that we use. And the kids that are high flyers can really take off and, and meet their goals. Um, kids that need more support can, can get the help um, in these programs. So that's kind of nice. The technology allows us to do that a lot. Um, we've also started to really start to concentrate on doing STEM activities. And I think these are really great activities in math and science for us to do because it does allow kids to kind of take things in their own direction. You know, there's, you have a task that you have to complete and some kids will complete it in the simplest form and that's just where they are and that's just their brain. And then other kids will come up with this really complicated way to complete the task. And it, it just gives them that freedom and that creativity that um, that I'm looking for in my instruction. So,
0: Hey, Aaron, what kind of skills and habits do you think that, students need to develop in order to thrive in a mastery-based environment or competency-based school or district like that?
2: I think a lot of it starts with that growth mindset where, yeah, this is hard, but how am I going to get through it? How can I, you know, persevere? How can I struggle but learn something from it? How can I encourage my friends, different things like that. We've started our growth mindset program here in Boyne this year in third grade, and we really talk to the kids about, you know, this is, you know, my kids, if you ask them what kind of classroom is this, and they'll say it's a mistake-making classroom. They know that it's okay to make mistakes, that nobody's going to laugh at them, that that's how we grow, that's how we, we learn things that we didn't know before, and it challenges us. So accepting those challenges and and pushing through to learn what we need to learn, um, I think is important. I also think, you know, in this, they have to be able to self-evaluate a lot of the time um, and say, okay, what am I good at and what am I struggling with and how how can I be proactive in my learning? And that's just something that I think comes naturally as they get older, but it also has to be encouraged by the teacher because a lot of them are just so used to oh, I'm not good at this. I'm just not, I'm going to avoid it. And I'm going to give up. So it's something that we have to, we have to teach them.
0: I like that you bring up self-evaluation, that metacognitive process for students. That being said, like it's probably an everyday skill building session for you. If you're trying to instill that in students, (laughs) a lot of adults struggle with reflecting on their own learning, right? Oh yeah. I'm interested in how you think about feedback to students. Um, With a mastery-based learning model or competency-based learning model, students need personalized feedback that's informed by formative assessment, right? Right. I'm really interested in some of the stuff that you're doing to support students individually like that.
2: Well, a lot of the times, you know, we have to, we test a lot nowadays. And as much as I like to avoid it and get around it, um, I can't. (laughs) It's part of my job. It's requirement. So what we try to do with the tests is first, you know, make sure that the kids understand why we're giving it. What's the goal of it? What, who's going to benefit from it? What information are we going to take from it? And then we also like to make sure that we share the results with the students so that they can look at it and see, okay, what did I do good in? What did I, you know, what could I improve? And we try to approach it in a positive manner instead of saying, what did I fail? You know, what can you work on? And so from that information, setting goals. For instance, we have a um, data wall in my room and we track who has completed certain um, tasks. Um, we use a, a math program called IXL. And so once they've completed something in IXL, we, you know, we track that and we try to set a goal. Okay, I'd like to be done with this. Um, we also take their math facts in multiplication and division are huge in third grade we're learning those facts you know let's set a goal for ourselves how many can we master in 1 minute or maybe you can do it so you set it up you know i i know my my ones my twos my threes all the way up to my fives i want to i want to know that in the next month when it comes to reading you know setting a goal for fluency setting a goal for words read correctly, that kind of thing, or, or their reading level, trying to get them to be engaged in their own learning and responsible for their own learning. Cause that's, you know, that's important too. So we set goals a lot of the times.
1: Erin, can I, I'm going to pick your brain on that for just a second, because, um, sure. you know, when I was teaching eighth graders, I was asking them to set goals and it was, it was a really big struggle for them. Um, uh, because I think it's something that students at the eighth grade level, most students don't do a whole lot of. So can you kind of walk us through like, um, like I get, I get the process of, I want to know these, I want to know these by this time frame. Do you guys revisit them? Do you put them someplace that they see them frequently? Cause I'm also really kind of nerdy about like, how do you reach your goals and how do you help other people reach their goals too?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, and the other part of it too, I try not to post too much stuff on the wall, because I also think it's private, too. So, I, you know, my data well is pretty small. But at this age, we talk a lot about um, getting the kids to acknowledge that, okay, you might be good at one thing, but I'm better at this. You know, I have strengths where you have weaknesses and, and vice versa. And so we talk about just because this child isn't where you are doesn't mean that they're not trying their best. We also do things like we have a buddy who can encourage and support if you're trying to, if you need help in things, if you are wanting, you know, some extra motivation on your test, maybe holding you also accountable. I try to buddy um, friends up and so far that's worked just because a friend is somebody that you can be vulnerable with and get encouragement from and it's not going to be, you know, they're not going to look down on you or you're not going to feel like they're Uh, looking down on you so try to do it that way but setting it up you know I think if I had older kids it might be more private just because I think you know back when I was teaching middle school they're so self-conscious that's like you know the age of where everything matters (laughs) and so maybe a personal data law is something that you just keep you know your own records and, and trying to you know Trying to teach them to be accountable is really, it's tough at this age. So we try to do it with small things and, you know, it kind of looks like bribery sometimes maybe (laughs) where you're, you know, giving rewards, but it's also, you know, it's whatever you got to do to to get them to get in that habit of setting
1: goals. But I'm sure some of the rewards are intrinsic too. They just feel better about themselves. They're proud of themselves Mm -hmm. for, reaching those goals, even though if they're even if that's not something that they're cognizant of, it's such a great skill to be teaching them too. Mm -hmm.
2: Right. We did these, um, this year, I think second, I know second and third grade did it. I'm not sure about first grade, but we um, started doing these things called brag tags. And so you get these like metal necklaces or metal chains, and you get a tag every time you accomplish whatever the teacher has set up. Like for, for me, it's, you know, when you've passed a section of IXL math, you get a brag tag. When you get three greens in a row for your multiplication facts, you get a brag tag and spelling. They get a brag tag for a certain percentage on their spelling test. And so the kids get to wear these. We have a, a Rambler recognition day once a month and they get to wear these necklaces to, to the ceremonies and kind of brag and boast about how well they're doing. And we do also, I mean, we give brag tags for, you know, you get one if it's your birthday, you get one on a holiday. So it's not like kids won't have any, especially for some kids that struggle a lot, our special ed population, they're able to, we can adjust what they earn brag tags for, so um, they can feel success in whatever area they're working in. So.
0: I think it's so awesome how you, you've set up this environment where like practically you can't be the personalizing agent for every single student, right? Like it, it just, it just can't happen. So you leverage the power of collaboration to do that. And by opening up that door, the thought that comes to mind for you is okay. Like this is extremely vulnerable. Like we, we need to like vulnerability, vulnerability either cripples or, or empowers.
2: Definitely.
0: So like, Thinking about how we get excited about looking at our successes and warts and not seeing those failures as something to hide or be embarrassed about. But that it's just simple growth by making it a collaborative effort like we your students realize that uh, everyone has them as a culture. We can have an eye on just improving in our own individual ways and supporting each other with that. I just think like the way that the social aspect feeds the the personalizing necessity is just so cool.
2: Well, and you know, like we spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year setting up that environment in our classroom. You know, we do just silly challenges. You know, we did this one activity where they had to, they had I think like three or four hula hoops and they had to move the whole class from one end of the basketball court to the other and they couldn't leave the hula hoops. So they had to figure out how they could get, get everybody across by moving. So it was, it was good because they failed. (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome. We set them up up to fail. It was great. Um, (laughs) But we did things like that, you know, some of them did succeed, but as soon as somebody failed, we stopped, you know, when we were all done, we talked about it and we got the kids realizing and through different activities too, that it's okay to fail because we learned. And then whenever we did fail, we would do the activity again and say, okay, now take what you learned and let's try it again. And that's why I really like STEM activities too, because, you know, there's that whole scientific process. Uh, process that the engineering process where you try and you fail but you fail and you learn from it so that you can go back and fix it you know nothing is a, a one and done here you've got another shot and so we we spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year setting up that kind of uh, environment in our classroom you know we talk about i always tell my kids that like this is this is our home you know we're here a lot together <laughs> a lot and you know, if it's messy, we can't live like you know. We can't move around and live that way. You know, we have to look out for each other. We have to be nice to each other. And we just we're constantly working on on that, on keeping this environment positive and encouraging. Shall we play a game? No, it's quite
0: okay.
1: Are you ready to play some trivia with us? Oh my gosh. Sure. Okay.
2: Nervous, this is, it's but...
1: going to be, it's going to be all good because I have selected some trivia that you have a lot of background knowledge on. Okay. And Wait,
2: you did or Jeff did? Cause I'm, I'm more have... nervous if Jeff did it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So okay. um, I don't know what that means. I don't know how I should take that. But
2: well, I would <laughs> know like. I back. know how much yeah. you like Star Wars and stuff, and and I'm not a Star Wars buff, and I, like I don't want you to throw something in like that on me or something. But okay, I'm ready.
0: We Go won't ruin your street cred, okay? As far as Star Wars goes, <laughs> no, okay.
1: for sure. Um, so while I while I give you this little intro, we're gonna make sure Jeff has his awesome app his sound effects app set up and ready to rock. So Jeff, this is me stalling oh, to make sure call. you want to go there. Um, so Aaron, your trivia today is on Michigan state university. Go oh. green.
2: You go white. All right. Um, I can do this. And mm-hmm.
1: no pressure, but <laughs> Rochelle is up next for our next episode. Oh no. Oh, no. Okay. I, I have some U of M <laughs> trivia in the works for her. Okay. So, make it hard. Make it hard. Um, Mm-hmm. If this already weren't important, well, no, it's even more important. Okay. Are you ready?
2: Yeah. now the stress is really on. Okay.
1: So some, some questions are multiple choice where I, I thought maybe you might need a little help to kind of clarify some things. Okay. And some are not because, uh, in my mm-hmm. mind as a not Michigan state university graduate, but somebody who lived nearby and is a, a state fan, I figured you could get them. So okay, Michigan state university. Um, or I think its first name was what, like the agricultural school of Michigan, something
0: awesome yeah, like
1: that it was, was founded in, and I'm going to give you some choices,
2: 1865, 1901, 1875 or 1855. Um,
1: that would be 1855. ma'am. You, are <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> Is that a real air horn? <laughs>
0: It kind of sounds like it it
1: does. Woo, woo! One for one. Good work. Your ears
0: open now. Yeah, I'm listening.
1: Yeah, I wasn't deaf before. (laughs) (laughs) You, you have twin boys and a daughter. That's yeah, yeah, that's right in your north. Yeah. All right. Question two. MSU has how many buildings on campus? Two hundred forty-three, six hundred twenty-five, one hundred, or five hundred forty-five.
2: Oh man.
1: Um. Okay, give them to me again. I'm gonna. I gotta write them down. On the okay, two forty three. Okay. Six twenty five. One okay. hundred or five hundred forty five. Oh. N- no googling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's like, oh, I have to write those down. So yeah,
2: that I can
0: we're listening theory. for keystrokes right <laughs> now.
2: <laughs> Man, okay, so on the campus. Oh Lord, I'm gonna go with 2:43. But <laughs> 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 my second guess was
1: 5:45.
0: That that would have got you some yeah. ham horn. Oh. <laughs>
1: All right. That's all right. That's all right. That's only question two. Okay. Question three is an easy one. The mascot for Michigan state university is
3: party. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question four. So you're two for three. Approximately how many students currently attend MSU? 40,000, 50,000, Sixty thousand or seventy
0: thousand.
2: Oh man. Um I'm gonna go with
1: seventy thousand. Do... <laughs> <laughs> I um, feel like it's it's a little bit nicer than me being like, eh wrong. Eh. Oh good. I think you're gonna rock these next three questions. So there's there's three more. Um, there's actually 50,000 students that currently oh, attend right. between okay. undergrad and graduate programs. So, all right, question five. MSU is first in the nation for what graduate program? Engineering, elementary and secondary ed, business administration, or criminal justice?
2: Um, well, I would say elementary and secondary ed. <laughs> I think you should put that in Rochelle's questioning too.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just throw her off yeah, a little bit. I might have to think it I'm gonna put a star next to that <laughs> Jeff, are there uh, so Jeff records from the sound booth? Um, mm-hmm. are there can people hear the ham horn outside or not really, do you think?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm usually not aware of what people <laughs> observe me doing or not doing. <laughs> I don't think anyone can hear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Erin. Question six is an easy one. Who is the men's basketball coach?
2: Tom Izzo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh lord. Do you know here's a fun fact. Do you know that Tom Izzo came up to Boyne City and spoke at our sports banquet? Back when we did in not?
1: Basketball? When was that?
2: Back, back when I was in high school, I'm not getting, I remember
1: he was in Boyne last year. Remember because the, the day family was like stalking him and trying to find him him. to take a picture with him. Yes. Yeah. He's been
2: here many
1: times. That's awesome. All right. Question seven, uh, kind of connects to men's basketball. How many final four appearances? Final four has the men's basketball team had six, seven, eight, or nine. Hmm. I think it was seven. Mm. (laughs) How many? They've had nine. Nine Nine Yeah. Were you there, like in the Mateen Cleves Flint? They
2: yes I was. And they actually won the national championship on my
1: birthday that year. Oh my gosh. As a birthday present for you.
2: My twenty first birthday, even. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was a really good it birthday present. Really fun. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Wow, well, four out of seven. That's not bad. Um, That's not we'll have to okay. see what Rochelle does. And uh, make those questions really hard. The good news is your, uh, your podcast probably will not yet be released when we do ours with her. So I'm thinking some similar questions and then uh, we'll see, we'll see how she can stack up. Right.
2: I have, I have a suggestion. You could ask her which U of M football coach spoke
1: in Boyne city, Michigan. See if she knows that. Which one was it? Lloyd Carr. All right. Got it.
0: So I think what we're going to do, we'll publish both of the podcasts and then we'll go over, you know, right and wrong and celebrate your achievements and then and then okay. we'll talk about growth areas for, yeah, for the I both of like you. <laughs> and we'll just have to be a little vulnerable and and kind of lean into it. I am I and whoever wins so gets vulnerable. brag tags.
2: Yes. Okay, that sounds great. I know if she wins, she will be bragging. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I will never hear the end of it.
1: Jeff, I think it's probably pretty critical at this point that we get this, both of them published before McCall. Like that has to be our, our deadline, <laughs> our timeframe. And then, uh, maybe there can be like a, like
2: whoever, an arm wrestling match go, after
1: go. whoever loses has to wear their Mish at the Mishad shirt in the color of the opposing
0: school. Ooh. I don't own
2: one. I do not own that one. Uh, I,
0: I have I'm sure you each one. could bring one for each other. <laughs> that I hide.
2: <laughs> oh my God. I don't know if my body could
1: handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you break out in hives. <laughs> I might start itching all over. Oh. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking time yeah. out of your prep hour to chat oh with God. us. I especially appreciate you uh,
2: thinking of me. Oh,
1: of course. Of course. We're excited about the things that you're doing. Just listening to you. I'm like, these are so cool. I love, I love the idea of the mistake making classroom and just really changing that mindset from mistakes are, you know, fatal and I can't recover from them to they're a part of yes. learning.
2: Oh yeah. Cause Lord knows I make enough of them in front of my kids. So right. <laughs> It was beneficial for me to do this for myself as well.
0: (laughs) It's all about (laughs) (laughs) self-preservation. really.
2: I said, see, I made that mistake just to show you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Can be done. So, Thank you guys.
1: (laughs) Thanks again. We'll let you go enjoy a couple of of minutes of of quiet time and getting anything that you need to get ready. But um, we'll chat
2: with you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. (laughs)
0: There. Today, we want to talk to you about asking questions because asking questions is a good way to find out about things like, uh, like, go gaze. Yeah, observe. So, after having our conversation with Aaron, uh, Aaron, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you and I were kind of talking about this competency education thing. And we got to talking and one of our colleagues Kelly Hickson is one of our fellow blended coaches and she in a previous life for almost 20 years uh, was teaching in Fraser School District and during her time there she was a she was an elementary teacher various grades across the elementary She was also a Title I interventionist and a 21st century teacher, which means that she was in this half-coach, half-teacher role. And Fraser Schools is a competency ed school district, and we even talked a little bit about that in our interview with Aaron. So we thought that for our campfire cues, we would bring on Kelly and have her address some questions that... Erin and I came up with, Aaron, Aaron L, not Aaron M, <laughs> to kind of extend the conversation based upon what Aaron M kind of articulated she she was doing in her own classroom. So some of the guiding questions we came up with were: what are the challenges uh, that Kelly experienced in her work with school districts shifting to competency-based learning? And then also. If individual teachers are interested, like Aaron clearly is, what are some things that they can do in their own classroom to start taking on some of the tenets of competency ed and kind of influence it from the grassroots level like that? So we joined up with Kelly and you're going to hear her next. Hey Kelly, thanks for joining us.
3: Yeah, not a problem.
0: For our listeners, uh, we set up for them that you have a background in competency-based education, but could you tell a little bit about your background in competency? Based education from a first-person perspective.
3: Absolutely. So I was a, a teacher in Fraser for 19 years, and before Fraser got on board with a district-wide approach to competency-based education, I, I worked to try to adopt it within my own classroom. At the time, I was teaching fifth grade, really just thinking of what is it that I want students to learn, making them have ownership of that learning and then linking it to specific competencies from the content standards that I had within fifth grade. And it was really, it was a lot of fun um, within my own classroom. Of course, when it's in your own classroom, you have certain liberties because implementing in a, on a larger scale is, is a little more tricky. I could, within my own classroom, kind of make a lot of decisions that would help with that and um, it was fun it the kids responded well to it. they I, I did notice right away that they took a lot more ownership over their own learning. I started with math um, and and they just kind of worked at their pace and and went through went on to the next skill when they were ready and and it helped me keep constant tabs on um, where students were and and who needed. Help and and who needed me to uh, to push them further and and all that. So then when Frazier got on board with it and decided that they were going to go district wide with competency based education, it was I kind of felt like I I had a little bit of a leg up. But it's like I said, a lot different when you go to uh, to implement it, you know, in an entire district. So I spent let's see, my first year. No two years that we had started in, in the district. I was in the classroom. I, I kind of worked to help other teachers in the in the building that I was in transitioning. And then after that, I transitioned m- myself to a role where I was a 21st century teacher. So I spent half of my time working with teachers and and really helping. Them with a lot of uh, coaching support and professional development that went around competency based education and blended learning. So I was able to uh, spend a lot of time not only doing it in my own classroom, but then helping other teachers figure out the best ways to to make it happen and, and helping the district make intentional decisions about how to make it work within the district. Since then, I transitioned about a little over a year ago now, I guess, um, to Michigan Virtual, where we've been in different classrooms and buildings where teachers, whether it be individual teachers, trying to implement competency-based learning or um, sometimes at the building level. And it's always a good challenge to uh, to help rethink how how people can do things to help students. So it's been a good. I, I feel like I I've had a, a nice, um, rounded, well-rounded background with competency-based education, and I have good feelings about it.
1: So Kelly, that leads me to a question. You know, you were talking about how your your students took pretty well to it. Mm -hmm. One of, you know, one of our questions that we do want to talk about are just kind of like overall challenges. And one thought I always had as a teacher when I was trying to start moving to competency based, but I wasn't, I wasn't totally there. Our district was certainly not there was how do parents respond to that? Mm -hmm. And what were some of the things maybe that you thought were done well in your district to kind of educate parents um, so that they were, they were ready to handle it too moving forward?
3: Right. Yes. Parents, it was definitely a challenge because they're used to a, a traditional system, and so when that looks different, that that's tough for parents to you know to to kind of swallow. And so one thing that I learned, sometimes the hard way, when I was doing it individually in my classroom, is. Um, communication, just a ton of communication was key to, to helping parents feel a part of it, um, and um, really working with the students to help them advocate for themselves and and for their learning, um, to help parents be able to see that you know this is really to to their kids' advantage, to be able to say, hey, this is our way of being able to say, we're going to take you where you're at and help you to be able to move on when you're ready, not when the rest of the class is moving on with a particular skill. Um, So a lot of it was how, how it was approached, and lack of communication was really one of the the ways that you can make it a, a bigger challenge than it needs to be, whether it's district-wide or whether it be in an um, individual cl- teacher's classroom is communicating with parents, communicating with the students all the time about expectations and how it's working, and then also with administration. That's probably one of the most important Things I've taken out of it,
0: Hey, Kelly. What did? How did you feel making the shift from communicating about how a student was performing, talking in terms of competency versus, um, you know, tasks and letter marks and grades? I'm thinking, especially at parent-teacher conferences and things like that. Mm-hmm. With competency-based education and competencies tied to learning, I imagine the conversations are a little bit different. Definitely.
3: Um, One thing that I kind of made a connection in my own head, I have a a background in early childhood. And so for the first eight years of my career, I taught first grade. And in a lot of ways, that was the closest I was to competency-based without really thinking of it that way or or really making a conscious effort to transition to that because there are no letter grades at that age. It's very developmental. You take a look at where students are, whether it be, let's say, for instance, language arts. You take a student where they're at and, and move them on when they're ready, which is, is the, a lot of the, the premise of, of competency-based education. When I started teaching in the upper grades, that's when you go to more of a traditional grading system. And I always struggled with it. Which is um, probably because of my background with um, early childhood and in thinking of things more developmentally, and so a lot of times when I would speak with parents personally, I would look at the letter grades as a talking point that would lead to where the student was with really, competencies, when I think about it. I wasn't thinking of it that way at the time, but I feel like I've always, when I speak with parents, spoken that language. When parents, I feel like, look at a competency-based reporting system versus a traditional reporting system, that competency-based system gives them so much more information. So, that's not not too difficult, I felt, to, to transition to because it kind of spells out exactly where students are. The tough thing is those parents that were used to, maybe if their student wasn't performing well enough to master a concept or to prove competency, then there would be, you know, sometimes some some interesting conversations about homework grades versus, you know, can my student get extra credit? Can my student, um, thinking more of, of where how traditionally on a 100-point a scale that um, students would be able to get around not knowing certain skills and moving on. Um, so that was probably the biggest challenges. Hearing you say
1: that, Kelly, reminds me of one of the first times I was kind of exposed to standards based grading, which mm-hmm. I think has a lot of similarities. And, um, it was Dave Tebow. He had come up to speak at point tech conference. And the thing that he said has just always stuck with me. He's like, so my kid can't do this math problem, but because he brought in four boxes of Kleenex, he's passing your class right now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. And I was like, "I I was never a teacher that gave extra credit for Kleenex anyways, but we all know, like You know, Mm -hmm. come like March, the Kleenex supply is gone and our schools and extra boxes are nice to have. But it just really made me think about how are we doing this? And we're doing this completely in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So it's funny that you talk about those parents that are like, but what about extra credit?
3: (laughs) Right. I mean, and that's the system they grew up in. And so that's what that's all they know. That's their background knowledge. And so. To some parents, it was unheard of that, that there couldn't be a way around a student just not being ready to move on with something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it led to some sometimes heated conversations with parents, but I, I've always felt so strongly that it's, it's in the best interest of students, that I never had a, a difficult time, you know, I guess, defending it, for lack of a better term.
0: Would you point to that as one of the biggest challenges of uh, going district-wide with a competency initiative? Well,
3: you know, I I teach elementary school, and so that's where my experience comes from. But I I would say from the district perspective, a a huge challenge is these um, students who are in high school and looking to get into colleges because they... Are used to having a, a four-point scale that is very translatable to to the college um, readiness and um, you know college acceptance and you know what's your ranking within within your class and um, you know the um, the grading system. Well, how do you how do you transition that? You you almost have to have you know, in the meantime, have a, a way of, of translating that original traditional grading um so that you can provide that information to colleges. So that was a that was kind of a, a parents were concerned definitely about that, especially as the as their students were older and older and thinking about getting into college. So that was that was an interesting challenge. The other biggest challenge to me is is um, just besides the like making sure everyone's on board because, um, you know, within any system, you're going to have people who are gung-ho early adopters and you're going to have people who are going to resist. Adoption of big changes is um, breaking from a traditional system is is a lot to ask. The other big thing, though, is like our current system isn't ideal for competency-based when you think of the, what a school day looks like, you know, a, a fixed seven-hour day, you know, that a lot of things revolve around that, whether it be food service, transportation, you know, those kinds of things. When you tr- when you are truly talking about a competency-based system, you're going to rethink those things. And, you know, Frazier was going, you know, when I – When I transitioned to my job here at Michigan Virtual, they were in the midst of having some really big discussions and um, making some really big decisions about what the school day was going to look like and how that was going to be very different from the traditional day as as we all think of it.
0: At Frasier, they were having those discussions?
3: Yeah, I mean and some districts don't go that far with it. But it but to truly really um, do it with fidelity, you have to think about that some students are gonna need more or less as far as hours go. They're gonna need, you know, a different structure to the day. Right now you're going by age pretty much is how the, the system is is organized and that's not where competencies lie. We all know that. Any grade that I taught, I I had such a range of of students in my classroom as far as all the different content areas and skills that were required. So there's a lot of rethinking that has to be done and and a lot of failing forward to make sure that um, we're not holding ourselves back because of a traditional structure that maybe needs to be rethought of.
0: Cool. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Unless Aaron wants to grill you with more questions. No,
3: I don't. But it's
1: really nice to have a look at inside of of what does it look like Hmm. In, in both capacities, from the kind of like, well, I'm just going to do this on my own because I think it's the right thing to do before your district had moved to that. But also, then what does it look like when it's an entire district kind of overhaul? So, thank you for that perspective. Mm-hmm. We'll
3: have to, I'll have to give Erin uh, Mastin a call and see if she'll let us uh, raid her classroom and, and check out what oh she's gosh, doing she because uh, it sounds exciting. It's
1: it's very cool. I've been in her classroom a couple of times, and I just always enjoy being in there and and watching uh, the way that she does things. So cool. come on up, yeah,
3: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and Jeff, Jeff, you can come
3: too. We'll let you come.
1: <laughs> and if you have a question for us, we'd love to hear from you. We love getting questions from you all about what's going on in your classrooms or in your districts or things that you're struggling with. You can use Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat to get in touch with us. And all you have to do is within your post, put a little hashtag campfire Q that's campfire. And then just the letter Q like for question so that we see it and that we can answer it. And obviously if you do, we'll send you some pretty sweet swag, including the one and only Highly coveted MVU Happy Camper coffee mug.
0: That's a trophy to have and to enjoy every single morning.
1: It is. My husband has like just come and dear that mug. I, it's no longer even an option for me.
0: It's it's kind of like like uh, the reviews are consistent. There's no one that hates that mug. No. So, uh, There's friends get the of mug mine that no one hates.
1: Yeah. No, there's like friends of mine who are like, where is that? What is that mug? And where did you buy it? (laughs) Oh, we got it. And it actually is talking about day camp. They're like, I love it. I want one. So.
0: So before we punt.
1: -punt. Yeah, go for it.
0: (laughs) We're going to be at McCall. And
1: we're excited to be at McCall.
0: Yeah. So McCall is the premier educational technology conference for the state of Michigan. And what is
1: Chuck Quick Pop Quiz? What does McCall stand for?
0: Oh, um, Michigan. Uh, I'll come back to A. Computers, and I'll skip you and go learning.
1: <laughs> You're close. What is I, it? Uh, I think it's the Michigan Association for Computer Users and Learning. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I got yeah. some of the, the letters correct.
1: <laughs> you totally did. Can I just yeah. say why I love McCall? Because it sounds like a bird. Yeah, macaw. <laughs> That's a macaw, I think. Oh, um, I'm I'm all uh, sorts of wrong. Close. So I feel like there's an energy that kind of is just like circulating at McCall, where people are getting fired up, and you know it's that time of year right before spring break where. Everybody's feeling a little cabin fevery. The weather's maybe just starting to break and get a little bit warmer for us here in Michigan, but there's just this energy of teachers who are learning and are sharing and are excited to go back to their classrooms with things that they can use to really influence and impact student learning. And it's awesome. And then your head explodes when you're driving home and trying to figure everything out that you just learned about.
0: It's always good to be able to connect in a space that's overwhelmingly enthusiastic, right? Yes. Say say what you want, but there's there's a time and place for conversations with non like-minded individuals, but it's energizing to have a conversation with people that are just generally positive and enthusiastic about the same things that you are. So, over over the course of time, I just enjoy the conversations. I love the sessions. I I love um I love learning uh, from the, the mechanisms that are intended there, but I really I really appreciate the in, informal learning that goes on there too.
1: Yeah, just that connect I always joke that um, you know so a, a lot of us as educators have built up our personal learning network on Twitter. And um, there's those, there's those people that you're like, I think I know that person from, from Twitter. Like, I think we've had a conversation, but it's cool to see those people face to face and make those connections too. Yeah.
0: So, anyways, um, McCall is March 15th through the 17th this year of 2017 is the year that we're in. And
1: in Detroit? We're going to
0: be, yeah, it's in Detroit at Kobo. And we're going to be all over the place there, Aaron.
1: That's Uh, for sure. Yeah.
0: MBU will have a booth in the vendor space and we'll probably be hanging out there a little bit. We've got. Tons of sessions. What do we have? We have four sessions across the three days. Yeah. Um, and and the first session is a half day pre conference on on the fifteenth. So our topics are going to be on blended learning, open educational resources, and using tech strategically. And you can find our sessions. Uh, find us in the vendor hall. Find us on the street going to get lunch someplace. Make sure that you stop and. Stop by, say hi, tell us who you are.
1: And then maybe we should – what if we did like a live podcast from McCall?
0: That'd be cool.
1: Wheels are turning.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, That'd be really cool. We could find some time between all of the things that we need to do.
1: Between port presentations and yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: us yeah. yeah. Let's, we'll figure, let's
1: it out. figure that out. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. Well, as Um, always, thanks for listening and remember that we put out some show notes each week. So if you heard something either in our chat with Kelly or our chat with Aaron, or you just want to know a little bit more about Google drive or Google docs or forms or autocrat or all those awesome things that we've been chatting about, check out the show notes. We'll give you links. We'll give you a little bit more context or kind of help you find spaces where you can learn more too.
0: And lastly, we'd love it if you subscribe to our podcast so that you can keep on listening. We are available wherever you are listening to this podcast. So if there is a subscribe option, please do that so that we can revisit you. And leave a review in iTunes. That'd be super cool of you.
1: That'd be really cool. Then other people could find our show, too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Every little bit helps.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Hey dude. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Uh talk soon.
1: Sounds good. Bye.
0: It's <laughs> trying to be you. It didn't work too well.
1: Bye. Like that. Peace out. <laughs>